Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That is so good. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you, worship team. I've been so inspired by the start of the Olympics. These elite athletes, they're just amazing and so incredible to watch and uh, motivating, you know, to kind of live above. And yet when we watch the Olympic athletes and they perform and we think they are so talented, we're subject to the illusion of the iceberg, right? We see the top of the iceberg but fail to recognize everything that's below the waterline. This morning, we're going to take a look below the waterline in Ephesians chapter 4. And it's a joy for me to be able to preach. I know Todd wishes he were standing right here. And he uh, had surgery several weeks ago, a really tough surgery, a lot of sutures. And, of course, Todd is a person that wants to go. He wants to move on. And he started going. And he went too fast, too soon. The surgeon had a conversation with him, said, Todd, listen, buddy, (laughs) you're too soon. This is going to take two to three months to heal all that's going on in here. And uh, he really wants to be here, but uh, I'm going to step in. The surgeon said to him, "Uh, Todd, you, you need to meditate. Isn't that a great thing for a surgeon? To tell a pastor, slow down, listen to God. 
So Todd's doing the below the waterline work right now. And uh, so keep praying for him. Todd, we love you uh, so much. And uh, just the river birthday, you know, it's just, just incredible. Your faith and your work and, and uh, just a wonderful illustration of chapter four. So we're in a transition. Lauren read for us in chapter four. There's six chapters in Ephesians. We've been spending these wonderful Sundays in chapter one, two, and three, which really is a proclamation of the gospel. And now we're moving into four, five, and six, which is what we'll call a demonstration of the gospel. We've been basking in our calling. Listen to what Paul says in verse one. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. The calling that you have already received. That's why we're so excited to call this series, You're Doing Better Than You Think. You really are, because of what Paul has shown us in these amazing blessings in the first three chapters. But now, we're called to do something about it. And a lot of that is below the waterline. We're moving from the indicative, that's what God has done, to now the imperative, our response to that. And we should never get the two mixed up. We should always start with what God has done. God is the initiator, and then anything we do as we follow Jesus is a response to his grace manifested in our lives. Don't start in chapter 4, 5, and 6, or you'll end up in a works religion. You'll end up in perfectionism. You'll end up in legalism. You'll end up with a list of do's and don'ts and rules, and this thing will get really hard. But Jesus said, yeah, follow me. Take my yoke on you. For my burden is light. So we step into this. And the trajectory of this whole passage that Lauren has read is all about growing up. And really what Paul is saying is, I I want you to, to grow up, to mature, to develop to an elite Olympic athlete status. Now we're not there yet. 11 years old. We're moving into this kind of growing up time. But the passage is inviting us. In fact, Paul is imploring us. He's urging us, hey, River Church, grow up. So let's look at that. Verse 7 says, grace has been given to each one. Verse 12, some gifts are given to equip his people for what? For works of service. Verse 12, so that the body of Christ may be built up. Verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and become mature. Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants. Verse 15, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body. Verse 16, as each part does its work. This is all about growing up. This is all about maturing as a family, as a church. As a body. So, how do we grow up? And there are so many ways that we can approach these 16 verses, but I just want to divide it into two big ideas in terms of the way Paul is suggesting that we grow up. And here's the outline just two ideas. One, guard the unity and connection of the whole body, guard the unity of the whole. And number two, exercise the diversity and responsibility of the individual parts. Unity of the whole, 
exercise of the individual. And those two fit together. So let's just jump into that. First of all, Paul calls us to guard the unity and connection of the whole body. The first six verses. Verse 3 says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. When he says effort, make every effort, he says zealously and eagerly invest yourself in the protection of this precious unity that is the river church. Unity is a very high priority for Paul. And disunity is one of the major reasons why churches become immature and childish. It is our responsibility to pay attention to just what this means for a local church to experience unity. I was inspired watching the United Korean women's hockey team play the other day. Yeah? And it was amazing because here you have this South Korean team, and then it's announced to them a short time ago, hey, we're going to do something insane here. We're going to invite women hockey players from North Korea. They're going to join your team, and you're going to have a united front, and you're going to go out and play. And your first game is against the Swiss women. And they were smoked eight to nothing. But believe me, there was something far more significant going on on the ice than that score. Think of it. Think of the North Korean women and the South Korean women. You know, they look each other in the eye and they feel so distant. But when they really look at each other, and then when they sat around their training table and had meals together, they go, dang, you're my sister. We were the same. You know, so much of this issue of unity is solved, not by saber-rattling, but by having a meal at the same table. And it's true in the church as well. There's something about food. There's some, yeah, there's something about a meal. There's something about, about just, you know, inviting someone into your dining room and having a meal with them and solving problems face-to-face, right? It's a powerful, powerful illustration. And how about the 230 North Korean cheerleaders that they sent down for the games? Have you seen them? It's amazing. They came in and marched in before the women's hockey game to Pink's get the party started. And they were oblivious to what was going on, and you ought to just see them in the stands. They've got so many cheers, and they've got face masks, and they're all in unison. And I'm not sure they really know what's going on other than the fact that they're somehow trying to represent North Korea and their political ideology. But they're a hoot to watch. So guard the unity and connection to the whole. Paul says there's four attitudes that really are crucial in verse 2. Humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness. Gentleness, humility, patience. And he says when it's you know, forgiveness, it's, it's, it's bear with. It's, it's even the idea of endure one another. <laughs> You know, sometimes we just have to endure each other, right? I mean, we can irritate each other. And Paul says, hey, hey, put up with one another. Deal with it. And my friend Phil Hodges, he's wrote a, wrote a book called Lead Like Jesus. And he says one of the primary problems with unity 
is ego. And he defines ego as edging God out. Unity happens when we take our ego and we set it aside and we let God rule. Because really, this is his unity. We don't create the unity. All we're called to do is pay attention and guard it and protect it. Literally, don't mess it up. Because it's already present. You see verse 4? Lauren read it. There's one body. There's one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. One God. And there's one table. And listen what he says about God. He's the God and Father of all. Who is all over all, who is through all, and in all. We're invited to be caught up into the, 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 the beautiful dance of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who are one and have one mission. That's our invitation. In fact, when Paul starts the letter in chapter 1, he really gives God's purpose for all of human history and all of eternity. He says there in verse 9, He says, God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. This makes God so pleased, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. And here it is, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That's where we're headed. We're doing better than we think. All we got to do is just step into the river and let him take us. But it doesn't mean that there won't be disagreements. It doesn't mean that there won't be differences. There doesn't mean we won't have hard conversations around tables as we work things out. But we set aside our ego. We often set aside our preferences. We put up with one another and we realize that we're one together as we follow the one Lord, the crucified and the resurrected Savior, our Lord. There's a fellow named Rupert Meldenius. Now, it's a pseudonym. He didn't want his real name to be known because he wrote a famous saying back in the 17th century during the Thirty Years' War, which was a horrific religious battle where so many lives were lost over religious differences. Like if you ate communion wrong or baptized wrong or stood up at the wrong time, after church they just take you out and cut your head off. So many people lost their lives over religious differences. And this is what he wrote. He said, in a word, were we to observe unity in essentials, liberty in incidentals, and in all things charity, our affairs would be certainly in a most happy situation. Really, you won't kill me after church if you don't like what I said. So Paul says, grow up. We got to grow up first by guarding the unity and connection of the whole body. That is our responsibility, our individual responsibility to pay attention to our connection and where we fit in to protect this precious bride called the river, the bride of the risen Jesus. 
And yes, we may not always look beautiful in our white wedding gown, but we'll put up with each other. We'll tolerate each other, and we'll work it out together. There's a second thing. I'm going to suggest that what Paul is doing here in this passage is the second way to really grow up and become mature is to exercise the diversity and the responsibility of the individual part. Starting at verse 7, what does he say? But to each one, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Each one, grace has been given. Grace is a word for gift. We've been given a gift by Christ. I want to point your attention to Romans chapter 12 and verse 5. So in Christ, we though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace that's given to each of us. And then over in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says something very similar. Therefore, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. You see that? The whole were many, We're part of one family, one body, but each one has been given this grace. Every single individual part has a gift. Everyone is gifted with grace. That means you are gifted with grace. You are gifted to the church. Each of us are a gift with gifts. Now, if you notice in verse 11, he seems to single some of these gifts out. He says there in verse 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. And it's really easy for us to see sort of a hierarchy here. And I want to just dispel that and say that Paul intends zero hierarchy. These people are merely one of the many who are gifts with gifts given to the church. A a function, specific function, but we have done so much wrong with verse 11 and verse 12. Mainly thinking, and this is oftentimes from the pastor perspective or the professional perspective or the, the staff perspective, that our job is to run the church. Our job is to control the church. Our job is to exercise authority and power. And your job is to consume what we produce. And that has weakened churches and weakened believers. Anyone in a leadership position is one of the many who has been given grace by Christ as he's apportioned it. The word apportion is a measure. So he measures out gifts to us. And we all have different gifts. Every gift is important. And I really believe that as Christ measures them out, every local church has all the gifts they need. Right here. Right here. Whoever whoever is connected to the whole, to the River Church of the South Bay. We make up what Christ wants 
for this. So believe me, it's not the pastor's job to run the church and yours to consume what we produce. Makes the church very weak. So how long are we supposed to do this, all of us together, using our gifts? Verse 13, until, here's how long, we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Let's pay attention to that. Until we all become mature. Until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, that's not talking about intellectual knowledge about Jesus, although that's fantastic. It's talking about a personal relationship with Jesus. So what we're doing together in our life is we're learning to love and follow and know Jesus intimately, our one Lord. That's our mission. And we're not done until we all reach that point. And I was reflecting on the fact that I used to love, as a youth pastor, leading high school students on cycling trips. And we did trips from, you know, here to San Diego, and we did trips from here up to Santa Barbara and all over the Northern California area. And it was really fun to have a group of high school kids riding, you know, people who just I mean, pulled out their Schwinn and said, yeah, let's go. And we took two days to go down to San Diego. And I, well, what's that hill leading up to UC San Diego? You know what I mean? It's easy in a car, but you start riding that hill on a bike. And man, it's a killer. It's, it's hard pedaling for a freshman in high school on the, on the bicycle they got in fourth grade. <laughs> Todd, were you on that trip? He was. Todd was on that bicycle trip. Yeah. It was so fun. But, you know, I got this idea. You know, all these, you know, strong young guys are riding their bike up the hill, and they get to the top, and we said, okay, you know, wait at the summit. We'll wait till everyone's there. We'll, you know, get some water, and, and then we'll, we'll head on down to Point Loma. And, uh, and, and, you know, so now the guys on top are getting impatient. Like, come on, we want to get going. You know, where is everyone? And I said, no, 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 no. We're, we're not moving until the last person is here. And there's a lesson there in what Paul is saying is that we don't reach the summit until the last person has arrived. What would that feel like to arrive and you see the the three youngest, strongest guys, they're already gone. Or as soon as you get there, you're exhausted, you're tired, you need a moment to breathe and catch your breath. Hey, you're here, bye. So it's a picture for the church. Paul says, until we all get there. Until we all get there. So how do we grow up? We guard the unity of the whole, and we exercise the responsibility of the individual, the big and the small. And there's so so much in this passage that I'm just going to leave out for now, but there's one more thing I want to mention that I think is important to emphasize as we move toward maturity. In verse 14, then we will no longer be infants. It is okay to be a baby. But Paul says we want babies to grow up, right? It's it's cute and cuddly for a baby to be in your arms. If they're 14 and they're still in your arms, no, no, that's not cute. That's like, hey, you, you, the mom and the child need to grow up, right? 
Then we will no longer be infants. Instead, speaking the truth in love, and here's the result. When we speak the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Part of growing up is speaking the truth in love. But I have to say that the word here is a verb, and actually speaking is not in the verb. The literal way to translate what Paul is saying is, don't be a baby anymore, but I want you to be truthing in love. And so oftentimes what we do is, is we say, hey, you know, man, I, I, I got to tell you something, uh, and I'm going to speak the truth to you in love, but you're wrong. That's not what Paul is talking about here, is having sort of an excuse to blast somebody and say you're doing it in love, when in reality, it's not It's not really done in love. This word that Paul is using that we could translate truthing, this action, this verb, it's living out the truth in your relationships with one another. It actually is embodying the truth in your life. So it does include talking. It includes speaking and speaking the truth. It also includes living out the truth especially in the way we're in relationship with one another. Sometimes speaking the truth in love might actually mean shutting up in love and letting your life and your actions do the speaking, setting aside our demand to be right. And there's kind of a continuum with this sort of this uh, mealy sameness that compromises all kind of truth so that we can all just get along. That's not what Paul's talking about here. But then on the other end of the extreme is the sort of repulsive rightness that just repels people because we would rather be right than to love another person. And Paul says the Holy Spirit's going to guide us through and work it out. We as the church need to be a church about truth with ourselves, receiving truth, protecting truth, embodying truth, the love and the life and the truth of Jesus in our everyday lives. And he says in verse 16, from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. Did you notice that? The body built itself up in love. See what it says? As each part does its work. One of the ways we grow up and become strong, using the analogy of the body, that every ligament, every bone, every tissue, every organ of this body, though they're very, very different, all important, to contribute their work to keeping the body healthy and strong. Indeed, an elite Olympic athlete. That's what God is prodding us and pushing us on in our 11th birthday, to move forward forward to say we're 11 years old and we have an amazing past and the stories of Gary and Heather and so many others are just they're beautiful and they anchor us and center us and motivate us to keep going and to grow 
and to become strong, to become healthy, to become vital, so that Jesus can use us. So, what's your part? What is, what's your part? You have, you have a part to play. A specific, important part. How can you protect the unity of the whole? Putting up with people. Enduring situations. Oftentimes setting aside our preferences for, well, the river's not the perfect church. (laughs) That's right, because we're all part of it. (laughs) Amen? Yeah. So how can, we, how can we protect this precious bride of Jesus? Not perfect, lots of room to grow. You know, I mean, we want to do a pirouette and we fall right on our high knees on the ice. And we just get up. So we protect it, we guard it. It's already there, the spirit. And then secondly, what, what's your grace? For works of service. And, and I love it. You know, there, there so, requires so many volunteers, you know, to make the river happen. There's greeters. There's hospitality. There's workers with river kids. There's tied small group leaders. There's rush small group leaders. There's grounded group leaders. There's people on the mission and outreach team. There's people on the finance team. There's people in the worship band. There, there's, there, there's so many jobs inside the church, but oftentimes we, we sort of, especially pastors, man, we got to get more workers to run the machine. And that's really important. It's really important. We don't have hospitality unless we're hospitable. But the ideas of what can happen outside of this place are part of the real beauty and charm and strength of the river. And it's limitless. What you already have cooked up, whether it's the way you care for people and and you sneak up to their house when when it's after midnight, nobody knows, and you leave something that helps them know in their illness they're, they're being okay. Some of you start book clubs with high school athletes, and you use that as an excuse to love them and encourage them and work with them. Some of you have been involved in rescue missions. Some of you have been involved in the Martin home with Joseph. Some of you have launched your own uh, nonprofits to make ministry happen in other countries. And I just want to encourage you, that's what Paul's talking about. You're a grace with a gift for the world. And you cause the River Church to be strong. Some of you are professors and teachers. Some of you do your grace in your home in this season of your life. Some of you have grown tired of church work. You've done your time on committees. And yet you're an amazing influence in your neighborhood and at your work. So what, what is your grace? What, where is the Holy Spirit fueling you to bring that kind of life into our community? It's not a matter of identifying what your spiritual gift is. In fact, sometimes I think if we focus too much on trying to figure out what our gift is, that it pulls us back. It's a matter of just saying, Holy Spirit, just launch me into the community. 
Help me find a place to, to, to build up this bride. And then maybe another question, an important question is where do you need to be truthing in love? The, the River Church must be an honest, and as Gary said, a vulnerable, a transparent, a place where we can be honest with ourselves, with other people, and love just permeates that as we work out our differences, as we love one another. Jesus says that love is your greatest message to the world around you. It's the way you work that out. Maybe North Koreans and South Koreans playing ice hockey is too great a stretch. But if they can do it, so can we across the dinner table. So we're going to come to the Lord's table. And you know, when Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians, he talks about there's, there's one loaf and there's one cup. And we tear it up and break it up and put it on two tables. But it all comes from one. One cup. And it represents Christ's body broken for us and it represents Christ's blood which is shed for us and the only way you get into this thing, the only way is humbling yourself before the cross and saying I humbly remember what you did Jesus in this broken body and in this shed blood and I do it with my brothers and sisters because there's one body and so we've put some jigsaw puzzle pieces on each of the tables. Because a jigsaw puzzle doesn't make sense until all the pieces are put together. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about being shiplapped to one another. That's what a puzzle does. It connects us to one another. And you put those puzzles together, and there's three pieces missing. And you go, oh, no, where are those three pieces? Because this is a representation that each one of us, each one of us is vital to the whole. You matter deeply. Your gift, your commitment to guard unity and to build the body strong. So I want to encourage you as you come to the table, Brad, you guys can come on up to take the bread, Christ's broken body for you, said, do this in remembrance of me. And then dip it in the cup. Christ shed blood, which he said, has been shed for the forgiveness of sins. And just once again, receive that forgiveness. And if this is your, your very first time, and this is so weird and unfamiliar to you, Jesus says, you are welcome. You come. You feast on Jesus. You humbly give yourself to him. Maybe let that be your first act of faith, of trusting him with your life. And you are welcome to be part of this family. So take a puzzle piece and put it in your pocket or put it on your dresser or on your dashboard or someplace that will just remind you that you play a really important part. So God bless you. Brad, will you guys lead us? And when you're ready, um, come and partake.